You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. filled afresh. I want you to tell me what's going on. I want you to fill me and show me and guide me and lead me. So we have to be open to God's Word. But we're all so preoccupied. We're so preoccupied with what's going to happen the rest of the day. That shopping list that I've been preparing. That person I'm going to visit. I'm going to go over to walk the wild with boardwalk. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do... We're so preoccupied with those things and allowing God to speak to our hearts. It's easy to lose sight of what really matters when we become preoccupied with distractions. Today, Pastor Dave will teach on the danger of becoming too distracted to see and hear what God is doing. As you listen to today's message, don't allow yourself to be distracted. Cling to the Word of God and seek Him always. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 8 as he continues his message, The Choice Between Life and Death. I don't try to put myself above the Pharisees. I don't try to put myself in their place. I can't. But you wonder what they're thinking with the Savior, the Messiah, standing right before them. Standing right in their midst. They're looking eye to eye with him, and he's standing right there. What would cause a person to make a choice that these religious leaders are making? Jesus has offered them grace and truth. And they've rejected it. And what follows is a horrifying prediction of what their destiny will be. Jesus shows them a horrifying prediction of what their destiny is going to look like. And this is not by God's choice. This is not by God's choice. This is by their choice. We know from Scripture that God is not willing that any should perish. God wants all to come to repentance. We know that for a fact. So the offer of salvation has basically been refused. The offer of light and life has been rejected. They remain in their sin. They remain in the darkness. And as we look at John 21, it simply says this. Then Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Jesus is predicting his departure. It's as if he's given them one final chance. I love that about Jesus. He gives us so many chances. He gives us so many chances to receive, so many chances to come to him. I love that about him. Once I'm gone, you can seek me, but you're not going to find me. Once I'm gone, you're not going to find me, he says. This took me back to Isaiah. And in Isaiah 55, he says six in verses six and seven. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he, the Lord, will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he, our God, will abundantly pardon. Will abundantly pardon. Did you hear those words? He will abundantly pardon. The prophet here impresses a sense of urgency on God's people. Seek the Lord while he can be found. 
This is the time to seek the Lord. God can be found. Seek him now. And I can tell you, church, right now, this is the time to seek the Lord. Seek him while he can be found. Seek him while he's near. It isn't that God is hidden. It isn't that he's hiding someplace, waiting for you to play hide and seek with him. It is that he only can be found when our hearts are inclined towards him, when our hearts are prepared for him. And that inclination itself is a gift from God. We must receive that gift. The grace of God is a gift. It's a gift to us. And we must make the most of it while we have it. Not seeking and failing to call upon him is a bad choice. It's a bad choice because you won't receive any blessings and it will lead to death. The prophet Isaiah impressed the need for repentance among God's people. Repentance is simply turning away. If you're going towards darkness... To repent simply means turn around and go towards Jesus, go towards the light. It's a change of direction. It's a change of mindset. It's a change of mind thought. You change what you're doing. See, that becomes an action. That becomes an action. You're accepting in your heart, you're believing in your heart, and you're changing the way you live. You're throwing away the computer if you have a pornography problem. You're giving up the alcohol, the drugs, whatever. You're giving up that sin that so easily ensnares you, and you've turned from it now. And if you turn from something, you've got to turn to something. You turn to Jesus. And he takes you in, cleans you up, makes you a child of God. You know, we saw a royal wedding this weekend. Oh, my gosh. I don't know about you. I've accepted Jesus Christ. I'm a prince. I don't need somebody to declare me that. I've declared that in God's word. I'm a prince. Ladies, you are princesses. Come on, every one of you dreamed to be one of Walt Disney's princesses. Now you're one of God's princesses. Come on. You're a child of the most high God. You're a child of the king. That makes you a princess, ladies. We turn from that. He makes the point of saying the unrighteous man because of his thoughts. Wickedness may be demonstrated by our actions, yes, but unrighteousness can be found right here in our thoughts. Remember Jesus said, you say you don't commit adultery and that's good, but if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. You say you do not murder, but if you look at your brother with hate in your heart, you've committed murder. Thought, the mind. Paul knew this. Paul knew this when he's writing to the Corinthians the second time in 10.5 when he talks about bringing every thought into captivity for Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity. And then he says in Romans 12, we must not be conformed to this world, but be renewed by our mind. Renewed by our mind. And then we have this glorious promise. This glorious promise that says, and he will have mercy on him. God will have mercy on the person that turns. God will have mercy on the person that repents, turns away from the sin, and comes to him. Wow. Wow. He will have mercy, it says. He will abundantly pardon if you ever turn to the Lord, you will find out one thing. He will never reject you if you turn to him. He does not reject if you turn to him with a sincere heart. The problem is we fail to return to the Lord. So Jesus is explaining to these guys. It's almost like these knuckleheads are standing before them. And I use that word loosely just to kind of lighten it up a little bit. But you're making the wrong choice, religious leaders. I'm going away. I'm going away. And I'm going back to the Father. And because you've rejected me, guess what? You're going to die in your sins. Ouch. You're going to die in your sins. 
I'm reminded of the rich man in Lazarus. Rich man in Lazarus, you know the story in Luke. Lazarus is the old guy who sits in front of the rich man's place and the dogs are licking him all the time. Rich man doesn't even pay him any attention. They both go. They both die. The rich man is in Hades. He's in torture. He's in pain. And he looks across this huge gulf and there's Lazarus, the poor man, snuggled up in Abraham's bosom. And he says, can I come to you? No, you can't come. You can't come to us. This is what Jesus is telling them. You can't go. And if you can't come to me, you're going to die in your sins. You're going to die in your sins. This is a stark reality for anybody who fails to believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah, fails to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Anybody who fails to do this will die in their sins. The wages of sin is death. And we all have to face that. In verse 22, they try to sideswipe him. They try to go around the corner. So the Jews said, will he kill himself because he says, where I go, you can't come? And this was a smack in the face. This was a huge insult to him because anyone who committed suicide, according to the Jews of that time, they would go to the lowest, lowest parts of hell. They would go to the lowest parts of hell for anyone who did that. And they try to twist his words to imply that he's going to commit suicide. But he gets back at them. And then he said to them in verse 23, You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is a profound verse. I made it our focus verse for today. Jesus is basically saying, I'm from heaven. You're not. You're of this world. You belong to the world and all that it offers you. And you're very comfortable in this world and all that it offers you. And you think you have life in this world because of what you're receiving from the world. But you do not have it because you're in darkness. And once again, you see this radical statement that Jesus said. He's laying things right down for these people. He's laying it right out there. He's clearly, plainly declaring the truth. He's telling them the truth. If you don't believe in me, you're going to die in your sins, he says. See, the true believer has a citizenship in heaven. His affection and attention are always heavenward. A true believer is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. But the unsaved only have this world. In fact, in Luke, Jesus calls them children of the world. They're children of the world. Since they didn't trust in Jesus, they didn't have their sins forgiven. Their destiny is going to die in their sins. Christian dies in the Lord. We die in the Lord. And to be absent from the body, to be present with God, be present with Christ. Why? Because we live in the Lord. The Christian's life is in the Lord. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We live in the Lord. But the unbeliever dies in his sin because he lives in his sin. And notice in verse 24, in the New King James, the word he is in italics, which means it wasn't there. It was added for clarity. It was added for clarity. Simply says, if you don't believe that I am, oh, that didn't get their attention. I am is the name that the Jews use for God. I am. If you don't believe that I am, Jesus is the way to forgiveness, the way out of darkness. See, God has made a way. God has made a provision for our sins. He's made a provision by trusting in Jesus Christ, by believing in him. And if you don't believe in him, there's no provision for you. 
you can't get anything out of it. There's no provision for you if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. You're lost forever. What a horrible thought. Lost forever. And verse 25 through 27 says this. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Salvation is standing in front of these guys. Salvation is standing right in front of them. They can look at it, they can see it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. It's standing here. But they can't see it because they're blinded. The darkness surrounding them is so dark, they can't see through it. They are so darkened. Their prejudicial attitudes are keeping them in the dark, keeping them in bondage. And this is what prejudice does to someone. This is what a prejudiced attitude does to someone. It takes our heart, and it keeps us from seeing the truth, the truth about someone else, the truth about life, the truth about God. If you have a prejudicial attitude, when it's right before your eyes, there is so much prejudice in this world today and it seems like 90% of it is in the political arena. I mean, I don't know which side is telling the truth anymore. There's so much prejudicial attitude. One side's just mad because they lost, and all they want to do is win. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Who are you? <laughs> I love that. Who are you? Jesus said, I've told you time and time again who I was, and you continue to ask. Maybe they're hoping for a different answer. Maybe they're hoping for someone to say that they're going to trap him. This just showed how much contempt they had for him. Who are you? Jesus had been answering their questions, and they had an ulterior motive. They wanted to trap him. Do you ever talk to somebody with ulterior motives? Do you ever talk to somebody about the Lord who had ulterior motives? And they start throwing question after question after question after question, and every time you answer the question, they come up with another one. They're trying to trick you up. They're trying to bolster their unbelief. They're trying to trick you up as a Christian. I told you about the time I was talking to the Jehovah Witness, my buddy, who was a Jehovah Witness, and we would argue constantly. They don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They don't believe that Jesus was God. They believe he was a son, but they don't believe he was God. And we argued and argued and argued, and he would throw scriptures at me, and I would throw scriptures back at him. And finally I said, okay, I'm done playing this game. And I went to Gospel of John in chapter 20, when Thomas says, Unless I see the nail prints in his hands and put my hand into the spear in his side, I, I don't believe. Jesus comes in. Thomas, put your hand here in the nail prints in my hand. Put your hand here in my side. Thomas does that. He bows before him and says, my Lord and my God. Jesus didn't rebuke him. If he wasn't God, Jesus would have rebuked him. What did Jehovah Witness say to him? Well, I'll give you that one. What? What? See how twisted their minds are? They're so in darkness, they don't want to believe, even when it's positively proven in front of them. They don't want to see. People just want to trip you up, and they want to prove their own unbelief. In verse 28, we see this. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak those things. Lift it up. You all know that this has to refer to the cross. When Jesus is lifted up, you know the story in John 3, 14 and 15, 
When Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him will not perish. This beautiful, beautiful picture of when the Israelites were bitten by snakes, poisonous snakes, and they were falling over dead. And Moses went to God and said, please, Lord, let me help them. Do something about them. And he told Moses to make a bronze serpent, a bronze emblem of a serpent, and put it on a pole. He said, and put it in front of the camp and tell them that if you look, if you get bit by a snake and you look at the snake, you're going to live. He did that. People got bit by the snake, they would look and they wouldn't die. People got bit by the snakes and they refused to look, they would die. Jesus said, if I, just like Moses, lifted up that serpent, when I'm lifted up on the cross, by believing in me, you will have life. You turn away, you will have death. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. So these men that Jesus is talking to are going to be involved six months from now. They're going to be involved in six months from now. Then he says, when this happens, you're going to know that I am he. When you lift me up and put me on that cross, and when I die on that cross, you're going to know that I am he. What happened after the crucifixion? What happened after the crucifixion? From noon to 3 o'clock, darkness fell over the earth, didn't it? Complete darkness over the earth. At the moment Jesus died, the veil in the temple was ripped in half from top to bottom. An earthquake shook and splitting rocks opened. Dead people in Christ came out. The bodies of the godly people came out and they were raised up and they walked around. And the Roman soldier who was standing guard, listening to Jesus' words, watching him die, seeing everything else, a Roman soldier, a Gentile, proclaims, surely, he was the Son of God. God spoke volumes that day and never opened his mouth. God spoke volumes that day. But the message was loud and clear. Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you'll know that I am. And that knowledge came too late for a lot of them. That knowledge came too late. The knowledge came too late because they couldn't change their hardened hearts. Their hearts were hardened. In 29 we read, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. And Jesus says these beautiful words. We would all love our name to have a tag on these beautiful words. I always do the things that please him. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You know what? You always do the things that please God. Oh, man. That's the kind of compliment you'd love to have. <laughs> That's the kind of compliment, you, oh, thank you, Lord. That's the kind of compliment you'd love to have. I wish it was true. God testified of Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's no unrighteousness in him. He says, I always do the things that please the Father. Oh, my. He's going to say to these guys, what sin can you convince I did? Name a sin that I've committed. I always do the things that please the Father. And in verse 30, you see the results of this thing. There's always those who are looking in, listening to every word that says, and, and you hear it in verse 30, as Jesus spoke these words, many believed in him. Here is the offer of a lifetime, and what do the Pharisees do with it? They squander it. It's as if they've never even heard it, let alone receive it. They're standing before them as the Lord in all his glory. The one who could change them from a creature of hell to a creature of heaven. He was standing right before them. But they missed the point because they were so preoccupied with something else. They were so preoccupied in being right. 
They were so caught up in the religious box, they knew they were right, and nobody else could tell them otherwise. They were so preoccupied. Oh, they heard his words, but the words don't penetrate the depth of their hearts. They don't let it penetrate. Their hearts are hardened. Jesus offering the gift of eternal life, the opportunity to be changed in an instant and spend eternity with him, but their mind was focused on their own agenda. They wanted to catch Jesus in a mistake. They wanted to trap him. They had one sole purpose. Get rid of this guy. Get rid of him. What a tragedy. What a tragedy when anybody comes to Christ preoccupied with something on their mind. What a tragedy for anybody come in to hear God's word with something on your mind. And that's why we pray that God would clear our hearts and clear our minds so that we might receive from somebody. But we need to clear our minds and get rid of all the mush that's in our minds so that we can come in and go, okay, Lord, I want to be filled. I want to be filled afresh. I want you to tell me what's going on. I want you to fill me and show me and guide me and lead me. So we have to be open to God's word. But we're all so preoccupied. We're so preoccupied with what's going to happen the rest of the day, that shopping list that I've been preparing, that person I'm going to visit. I'm going to go over to walk the Wildwood Boardwalk. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. We're so preoccupied with those things and allowing God to speak to our hearts. I want you to see growth. I want to see fruit. I want to see you grow. I want to be, see you become the Christians that God wants you to be, the Christians that God has saved you to be, so that you can take the message of the gospel and you can touch the hearts of everybody around you in all circumstances. I don't care where you live, that you can take the gospel message there. May we never lose that fact. May we be the ones who say, he who has ears, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. He who has ears, let him hear. This message was tragic. People reject Christ. He's their only hope of salvation. Anytime I say that, I always get the same response. Well, that's a narrow view. It's a real narrow view. Well, you know, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. I hate to tell you this, but Confucius didn't. He's still in his grave. Muhammad he didn't pay the penalty for your sins. He's still in his grave. Buddha, he's still in his grave. There's only one empty tomb that I know of. There's only one empty tomb. And that was the Son of God who came to earth as a man, who walked on earth for 33 years, who taught about repentance, who taught about God's love, and it was taken from us. But he willingly went to the cross and died for us, died for you, died for me. See, that's the only one. The Pharisees rejected Christ and chose for themselves an eternal destiny that was summarized by these words, you will die in your sins. And the worst bondage is the kind that one gets caught and doesn't recognize his bondage. Some of us think we're living free, but you're in bondage. That's the worst kind of bondage. The worst kind of bondage. When you're enslaved, to sin and Satan, but you think you're free. On the other hand, the offer of Jesus at the beginning of our passage still stands clear today. Still stand clear today. He's the light of the world. Whoever follows him will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a precious promise. You are a sure
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.